0: Lord richly bless you during this time. I know it is a blessing for us to be here and to just be reaching out to you. So let's continue with where we've been in some of these classes. Actually, it started off, I was using a term, the reality of being in Christ. And that, that was months ago. Months ago, it was right after, right after we finished our two-year uh, study on the feasts of the Lord uh, given to Israel. Because in those feasts, from the very first one, Passover, to the very last one, Tabernacles, what we see in actuality we see the testimony of our being in Christ, our salvation. We've read throughout the scriptures in the New Testament how often this figure, this figure of union, in Christ is a verbal figure of our union with Christ. In John 14 and verse 20. Now you, you need to read from verse 1 and particularly 3 and 4 and, and on. But in verse 20, the Lord in, a, in summing up what he has promised them to very shortly Take place, and he says in that day, and he's talking about the fulfillment and the fullness of the day of Pentecost. Christ Himself coming in power and in fullness to indwell those that are waiting there. Thus begins begins His body, the Church. And in speaking of this in verse 20, he says, in that day you will know. Now, these are the words of the Lord Jesus to his disciples just before he goes to the cross. In that day you will know that I am in my Father. Now, this isn't this isn't a doctrine of some kind now, hon. It isn't a doctrine of some kind. It is Christ speaking of divine relationship with his Father. This is the Son that came out from glory, and this is the Son that by way of the cross, through his death, burial, and resurrection, is returning to Glory. so that we may be through being in him in that very reality of glory, bringing many sons unto glory. So verse 20 is not the basis for some kind of a doctrine. It is Christ speaking of this relationship to his disciples, a relationship that they had never encountered, never had, couldn't have, except by way of the cross. And that day you will know, I'm in my Father, you're in me, and I am in you. That is probably, in my opinion, in my opinion, that is the greatest definition of our being in Christ, of the reality of our being in Christ. The reality of our being in Christ is the reality of our salvation. And then we've been looking at if any man be in Christ. And and the term there, if any man be in Christ, can be read this way. It's read this way in some other versions whosoever will, whosoever will, Uh, and actually whosoever is in Christ is a new creation. But it speaks of the destruction of the first creation, the Adamic creation, and then the establishing of a new creation. In other words, we don't come from one creation to another. We don't come from the first to the second while the first still remains. So there's a taking away of the first, and he did that at the cross. And the second has to do with the, well, the new covenant, And it has to do with the new man, which is Christ. It has to do with the reality of our union with Christ and of our being in Christ. So that's what we've been talking about over these weeks. And uh, we're continuing this concerning the resurrection. How is it? that we come to be in Christ. Now, I know, I know it is by way of new birth, yes, by way of being baptized into Christ by the Spirit of God. We're not talking about a doctrine of baptism in the Christian churches uh, or a method of baptism. Uh, We're not talking about being baptized in, in, in water, though I have no problem with any of that, we're talking about spirit baptism, spirit baptism, whereby we are placed in Christ and whereby the very spirit of Christ comes to dwell in us. So, yes, I realize that it is through new birth, through baptism, Uh, but to look a little closer at that, let's then say what happens at new birth. What really, what really happens? What really takes place when we are born from above? The incorruptible seed of God. And what really happens uh, with our baptism? Paul says that as many of us, as many of us who were baptized into Christ, know you not, know you not that so many of us as are baptized into Christ are baptized into his death and that we are buried with him through death, that like as Christ was raised up out from among the dead By the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Now, Paul really describes there in Romans 6, and then he also describes very carefully in the epistle to the Galatians, where he says, and he brings in, The taking away of the first, and then shows what the establishing of the second is all about in Galatians 2.20. Actually, it's 19, 20, and 21. Verse 20 is what we'll look at. Paul has found his answer to the law. He has found his answer to, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death. He found that in Christ. And that is what he's speaking of here in Galatians, in Galatians 2.20. And he takes it directly to the cross. What I'm going to be talking to you about in just a moment has to be taken directly to the cross because we're going to be talking about the resurrection and the power of his resurrection. But where there is no death, then, well, there can be no resurrection. But where one died, and when one died, that one died for all, the better translation of that would be when one died, all died with him. He brought one whole creation into that death. So when one died, all died with him. But... Out from that, one came forth in the power, in the virtual, almighty, superseding power of life. See, Hunt, most of us, Christians I'm talking about, and people in general, but most of us measure life by what we know life to be, in the flesh. In the flesh. We measure life. You think about this. Now, just be honest. Just be honest. You think about this. The great tragedy of death is not really physical death. It's the death of our soul. It's spiritual death. It's being dead in sin, separated from God. Not too many think about that. They think about how long they're going to live in this body. Okay, there is a greater truth with regard to life than breathing air and functioning as a body. Uh, And that truth is that except Christ be in you, life is not there. Except Christ be in you, then you have no life. You, well, may have an existence in the flesh, and all of that, but except you be born again, except Christ is in you, except the Spirit of Christ is in you. For Paul says, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his, except Christ dwell in you, there is no eternal life. For your soul. I'm not talking about long life. I'm talking about eternal life himself, Christ, the eternal life. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean a long, 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 long time. It means all that eternity, the eternity of God is, is fulfilled in Christ. And the promise of all of that to us throughout the whole scripture, regardless of all of the other promises and prophecies, the promise to us is life. And and I, I, I'm continuing to just say life because we usually would say life eternal, but when I say life eternal, and most Christians hear that, they're thinking about Yes, that means us living a long time. No, it doesn't. That means Christ himself living in us. There's a great deal of difference in soulish life, self-life, the life of the unredeemed soul. A lot of difference between self-life and soulish life and eternal life, which is Christ himself resurrection, true resurrection, that Christ himself says that he is, I am the resurrection and the life. Now he said that to Mary and to Martha. This was a, this was a big issue, maybe the biggest issue with the Jews, the biggest issue with Judaism, the biggest issue in the Sanhedrin, the biggest issue was concerning resurrection. And so it wasn't just a little matter when he spoke to them concerning, and what prompted this? Well, it was Lazarus that died, and he had let Lazarus die so he could introduce himself as the resurrection and the life. And that's in John 11. I am the resurrection. Now, for a long time I've said, he doesn't do resurrections. There's a lot of things that he does do, but he doesn't do resurrection. Resurrection is not one of those. He is the resurrection. He's not just one raised up. He is the raising of that one up out from among the dead. That's Christ. That's who Christ is. That's who and what resurrection is. And it's only because that one lives in us that we are in him by resurrection. Now, I've gone around the mulberry bush to get to all of that, but I know, yes, born from above, born again. But when I think of how is it that we are a new creation, what brings a new creation into existence, what brings into existence his body, it has to be because of him living in it. And, and that's, that's, he comes by new birth, yes. But who is he? Because most folks, hun, even if they believe in being born again, born from above, it's reduced down to a definition as weak as well. It just means that all of our sins are forgiven. We're all cleaned up. uh, And one of the, one of the sayings is, you know, cleaned up and ready to go up and all of those kind of things. Our salvation is that we, we are now our sins are all forgiven. Well, Beyond that, if we want to take that definition to its ultimate, to its ultimate intention, to its ultimate purpose, then you're going to have to take it there in the person of Christ and realize that our salvation is Christ Himself living in us. And He says as clearly as He can and takes this great occasion of the death of Lazarus to say what all Judah and all Judaism, rather, and all the the religion of the Jews at that day and that time are arguing about, but it is a main point among them, and he presents himself as that very thing. He doesn't present himself as one who can do that thing. Now, they know he can heal the sick. They know he can multiply the fish and the loaves. They know he can turn water into wine on down the line. We can go with that. They have seen him do it. What they don't know, what they do not understand, is that he is that resurrection that the whole of their Bible, of their scriptures, of their scrolls, is full of. That the very great promise of God given to them is based upon. That in fact, that in fact, that promise Concerning their Messiah is this absolute and supreme victory of Messiah over death. Well, that came true with Christ. That came true with Christ. It may be so that some, and, and it probably is so, that the Jewish nation of its own and many Jews are still looking for what Christ is and who Christ is. And it's who Christ is that we're talking about right now. And he introduces that at this great occasion. And he does that because he knows he's going to let this man stay buried in a cave with a rock on the front of it for four days, so everybody knows he's dead, because his body has beginning to stink. He set the whole thing up, and he told the disciples, it's all not on account of death or unto death. This whole thing is that the Son of God may be glorified, and he follows through on that. I'm just trying to stir your mind up. What was his message? Because, honey, we could sit here and just go through that 11th chapter. I mean, I mean, how, how disturbed and upset and bewildered the disciples were. They didn't understand what he said, what he was talking about. He finally had to just tell them, fellas, Lazarus is dead and we're going there. So, get your things together. And then he got there, the whole family of Lazarus, including the two that loved him more were upset with him because they felt like if he had got there while Lazarus was still just sick, he'd heal him and he never would have died. Well, see, that's not the point with Christ. That's not, he's not trying to introduce the healer. What he chooses this time is the I am. I am the resurrection and the life. He's trying to show that one is the power of the other. And I'm just telling you, sweetheart, that most of believers, most Christians, many of them, let me put it that way, very, very many, too many think that the power of our salvation has to do with how many sins we have forgiven and how much of a sinner we were and all that we needed to be forgiven of. That has nothing to do with the power of our salvation. The power, honey, of our salvation is the one who lives in you. Again, again, back to what I was, that I threw in a while ago with Paul in, in Galatians. The power of, of our salvation so Paul says there I am crucified with Christ for Paul there goes the order of the first there goes the first man the first creation the whole order of things of of the Jewish world and there there goes Paul I am crucified with Christ not I was I will be I wish I were I am crucified with Christ." and he, that has be, see, that's something that he didn't, that he didn't have to approve. that's something that, that he didn't volunteer from. That's a reality of his salvation that he has seen in the person of Christ. He has come to realize that when Christ died, Paul died with him. Now, if you want to correct me on that and say, well, it was Saul. Well, okay, it was Saul. But that's just a natural name change. It was Paul. And it is Paul who is being called Paul here who said, I am crucified with Christ. Sweetheart, we're talking about the taking away of the first. And yet then he says, Nevertheless, nevertheless, I live. Uh-oh. Now, just think about this a minute. You could have said, I'm crucified with Christ, but Christ lives. And they say that as a fact. But he isn't speaking here of just the fact that Christ was raised up out from among the dead. Paul wants those to whom he is writing to see that that Christ is raised up out from among the dead that he might live in those who have come to him, who have received him to them gives he the power to become the sons of God. Christ himself is the power to become the sons of God because he is the all-powerful son of God who dwells in us. And because he lives in us, then we by virtue of him are sons of God because by virtue of him, God is our father, the collective body of Christ. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying this out of an understanding of his union with Christ. It's unfortunate that most of the time this verse is read uh, and even taught upon to some degree. It's not being read nor taught upon out of an understanding of Christ. It was written in an understanding of Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But wait a minute. See, the whole focus here is not upon Paul. Paul Paul has has a place in this. Paul has an inheritance in what he's about to say. Nevertheless, I live. I have come from death unto life. Not just being dead in sin, being dead in Adam, separated from God by that whole creation. I have come from death unto the living one. I have come from death unto the whole realm of life. Well, honey, Christ himself is the fullness of the whole realm of life. There is not a realm of life outside of Christ. Paul knows this. That's why he writes the way he does. You need to look at that one verse. It's just a sentence. But it is it is full and running over of something that Paul understands about Christ. But normally it's being said to the church with regard to us or we. Here, Paul is saying that with regard to himself, how it is with Paul. Because that's the way it is with every believer to whom he speaks. But he's using himself here I mean, it's, it's a very, it is a very personal matter. Just like it is when it says, I have suffered the loss of all things by means of, by means of the extreme excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord. In the seeing of him, I have seen the nothingness of all else, And I have seen the allness of him. By that means it's a very personal thing with Paul. I'm not talking about my own little personal salvation. But sweetheart, you and I are gathered together in Christ. We are one body. And it carries his name, not mine or yours. So I'm not so much talking about a personal salvation as I am telling you that salvation is very personal. Why? Because except he live in me, I'm deader than a doorknob. I have no life. I've got a body that's breathing, but I have no life except Christ live in me. Now, darling angel, that gets really personal really personal. Hallelujah. And Paul is looking at that here, but he starts off, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But then he he says it, yet not I. Not I. Not I. Can you believe how much perversion has been attached to those three or four little words? By those who take those words and use them just as an excuse of the life that they do live, their own, their own, but that isn't what Paul is talking about here. He is saying, but not. I, yet not I, but Christ. So when you were saying, nevertheless I live, you were talking about that life which is Christ. Is that right, Paul? That's right. There is no other life for me to declare, except he who liveth in me. In some of this, we will read Revelation 1, verse 17 and 18. You can look at it whenever. This is the, this is the, this is the way he introduces himself and reveals himself to John, who's writing this letter called the book of Revelation or the revelation of Jesus Christ. Epistle to the church is what it is. And what does he say? John falls at his feet as one dead. He reaches down and touches him with his right hand and tells him not to fear. I am the first and last. But then, then he gets personal. And he says, I am he that liveth. Revelation 1, 17 and 18. I am he that liveth. My word, hon. That goes straight to to the heart of your soul. Not if you're reading that verse, but if you're hearing that voice. If the Lord is really speaking in you by the spirit of the eternal truth, the spirit of Christ himself, the eternal word, if you're hearing his voice, I am he that liveth. Fear not, I am he that liveth. Oh, my. You know, when we get, do you you realize, hon, when we get confused about, you know, our life in the natural realm of things, decisions we have to make, things we have, purchases we have to make, people that are around us, what we'd like to do, all these kind of things that, that are there. And sometimes we come to a real confusion concerning those things. Well, why? Well, we have to weigh them. We have to weigh them as to their importance because we make decisions based upon those things, people, places, things. We make decisions every day, at least with regard to those things. Some have to make decisions based upon those things. You know what the answer to that really is? I mean, the thing that just delivers us from the whole matter. Now, although the whole matter doesn't just go away, we're delivered from it so that we will deal with it, but we will deal with it as those who are standing outside of it because we have found ourselves in a union with Christ. We can handle the storm because we're not in the middle of it. We're in the middle of Christ, and he is in the midst of us. It makes all, it, it's, that's not mind over matter, that's truth over the lie. That's what that is. It's our salvation, hon. It's hearing his voice saying, fear not. Don't you think that John had a lot of things that could have brought about a good deal of fear? I mean, one of his greatest things was who will open the seals of the book of redemption who, I mean, John knew that, John watched all of the, probably, John watched most all, or he very was close to it and knew all about it, of the apostles being killed right up to his time. If I'm not badly mistaken, they tried to kill John by boiling him in oil, and that didn't get the job done. So now he's, he's on the Isle of Patmos. He's there. And the Lord puts his hand on John, who falls down at his feet, because John saw him in the power of his resurrection. And no matter where I'd have gone with this little lesson today, I would have come to right here and said just that. John saw him in the power of his resurrection. And darling, that's how we need to see him too. Why? Because that's who, what, and how he is. Please believe me, the resurrection with him was not an event that took place 2,000 years ago, and now it's all over and done with. No, darling, he, what was manifested 2,000 years ago is still manifestly true today. He is the resurrection. He is the life. Hallelujah to God. The power of the life is wrought and seen and set forth and made manifest in the resurrection. But you can't separate the resurrection and the life. It's all a big I am, just like I am first and last. I am Alpha Omega. I am the resurrection and the life. John, fear not. Fear not. You've got a whole letter to write here, John. You've got much more of me to behold here, John. Fear not. I am he that liveth. I am he that liveth. It makes no difference that the whole Jewish nation only claims that I am one that died on the cross, that I am dead and gone. No, John, I am he that liveth was dead i became dead john for a fleeting moment i became dead and in that death i brought a whole a whole world a whole age a whole creation into death That in me they might come to life. Was dead. But behold, look at me. Set your eyes, your focus upon me. Behold, I am alive for the ages to the ages to the ages i am eternal and eternally alive not only that because he says amen now i have i have i have taken death unto death and destroyed it I have taken the devil and overcome him and shattered his works and brought him to nothing. I have the keys of death and of Hades. My, my, my. See, sweetheart, this is not what he's going to be one day. This is not what he was one day. This is who he is. This is who he is when he said it. This is who he is now. Because this same one that spoke to John now lives in those now lives in those who are in him. Who are his body. Who are his household. That very one I want you to look at that. I want you to look at it in your Bibles after this little after this little this little lesson's over. I want you to look at it in your Bibles. I want you to look at oh I don't know verse 12 at least verse 12 on through verse 18 and I want you to understand. I want you to understand one thing and if you don't say father open the eyes of my understanding that I may see him in the way that he is set forth here in the scripture because sweetheart I'm telling you this is the Christ the son of God who now lives in you this one that John saw in his glory he lives in you the Hebrew writer says that well many times I mean in different ways in different ways but in one time in a very distinct way, he says, but we see Jesus glorified, lifted up, having honor. Huh? That's the way we come to see Jesus because that's the way he is. He is in you. He, he is the fullness of your soul. The life of your soul, the light of your soul, the power of He is the exceeding greatness of the power of God. He is the exceeding greatness. He is the power that worketh in us. Paul said, according to his power, which worketh mightily in me. It didn't make Paul mighty. It was that power that worked mightily, I guess so, transforming the soul, transforming the mind. erupting in the heart of Paul and in the soul of Paul like a volcano at one time and like the springs of living water at another time. Honey, the work of the Holy Spirit in you is a tremendous work. When he brought you to Christ and you received Christ, born again of the Spirit of Christ, The Spirit of God didn't go on retirement. You say, okay, now, I've, now you're saved. See you later. Now He brought us to a full salvation, a complete salvation, a salvation that is complete and full in Christ, a salvation that Christ is the complete and fullness of, and that's true. That is true. that, that is the truth the finished work of God, the whole perfect work of God, the finished of our salvation, that nothing can be added to it. What, what are you going to add to him who's the fullness of it? That's all true. But, it is, but you see, when I go through a tirade like this and go all the way down to it and say, it's not that you, it, it is beholding everything God hath already done. But the more I say that and see the greatness of that, the more I understand and deep in my soul, my word, my word, I'm just beginning to know him. I see him who is the very allness of all the things of God, but oh my, oh my, I see him who is that, but I have not yet come to know him in his allness. I mean, that's the way he's in me. That's who he is. This is what Paul says. It's not I. Christ liveth in me. And he doesn't live in me as me or as anybody else. That's just, that's just pitiful that someone would think that. That's just like a mouthful of vomit. No, it is Christ in you as life, as abundant life. It is He who liveth that now liveth in you. See, that's what Paul saw. That's what Paul got a hold of. He liveth in me. Salvation is. Much more. it's a much more salvation. It is above, it is beyond. It is, it is exceptionally above and beyond. Why? Why would he go through all of that, all of those definitions and just exhaust vocabulary because he knows that the simplicity of that and yet and yet, The absolute, the absolute allness of that simple and yet, and yet above the mind of man to even imagine the simplicity is that all of that allness, all of that power is registered In the person whose body I am, the person whose body you are, the person who, by His eternal Spirit, dwells in us, making us His eternal body, His eternal city, His eternal family, to which God adds continually. Now He does. You understand what does He add to it? Well. A long number of years ago, he added me to it. Every time one is born again, he adds them to it. I don't add anything to it. He adds me to it. You understand what I'm trying to tell you? And when I come, when I'm in Christ, I don't bring anything there. I don't add anything there. I have been brought to the place of fullness to the place of completeness. Can we see that in the person of the son? Maybe we can. In this whole little session, I want us to look at him and focus upon him because we'll never see this until we see him. You're certainly not going to find it in other people or or even in religious doctrines. Just don't even go down that line. So, it is it is the seeing, it's the seeing of him, the seeing of him that matters, the seeing of him that matters. And this is what I want us to realize. The letter there, though it has many things in it called destruction of of Israel and Jerusalem and, and even the destruction of Rome, many things are in there because of the period of time in which it was written. But the focus of that letter is Christ himself the beginning and the ending and 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 i know that reaches far beyond the letter but he is the beginning and the ending of that letter and we could say that that letter is declaring a reality of whom christ is the beginning and a reality of whom Christ is the consummation. It is a great picture, spiritual picture of our salvation. If we would quit Trying to read that letter written that long ago to the believers of his day, if we would quit trying to make that for something that could be another thousand years or two thousand years ahead, if we could just see John was declaring the greatness, the greatness of the head to the body, the greatness of the king to the kingdom. Because, darling, our salvation is great because our Savior is great. Our salvation is great because the one who exemplifies, the one who is the fullness of our salvation is great. You can't separate salvation from the one who is our salvation, Christ himself. Because true salvation of my soul is not founded upon the many things that he has done. It is founded upon the eternal thing that he is and will always be that in my soul. Blessed be the Lamb of God the living God. So Paul's writing is always first to exalt the head, and then right in that same area. It'll always be that way. I don't care which epistle that it's in. I love it in, the, in, in, in Galatians and also in, in, in Colossians because it's so clear there. He will present the greatness of Christ, And then he will present that greatness as the very very foundation, as the very allness of the body of Christ. He will show that we have been brought into all that Christ has both done and that which Christ is. Is he the resurrection and the life? We have been brought right into the resurrection. I'm going to stop right here because what I said was, how cometh this union? How is it that there is a new creation? By what power is the new creation of God? It is by the power of his resurrection. I want us to look at the exceeding greatness of his power. Maybe in our next lesson, just focus on it. I could switch over right now in the two minutes I've got left and read the verses and all of that, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, I I have it written right here, the exceeding greatness of his power and where we would have gone with it. and We'll continue to go there. We're not through with these classes or these times together. By the resurrection. By the resurrection. And I'm telling you again, don't make that an event. Past, present, future, in it. don't make that an event. It's not an event. It's him. It's him. Oh, well, I won't tell you that it's not eventful to be born from above. But it's not an event. Because maybe in a twinkling of an eye and a very short period of a moment, you've been born from above, but you've been born of eternity. <laughs> you understand what I'm trying to tell you? Bless the Lord. The whole 15th, the whole 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. Is declaring Christ Himself as the one and only resurrection out from among the dead. And declaring that He lives in us. He is the raising up of we who are us, who are His body. God giveth the body to the seed. Actually, there it says to his seed, his seed. That seed brings forth his body in the power of his resurrection. Honey, that's the body that we are. That's the body we are. So many things that Christ is to us now in in Christian religion, people are taught, taught to wait on it, wait for it. One day it'll come. But if Christ lives in us, then everything that he is shown to be in the scripture everything that he is of God, his Father. In him it pleased God all the fullness of the Godhead bodily to dwell. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Darling, he lives in you. He lives in you. He lives in you, not I, but Christ who liveth in me. Blessed be the Lamb of God. Time's up. Time's up. We'll just continue here uh, and see what the Lord will direct and how the Lord will direct us. You might want to read Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2. You might want to then focus on Ephesians 1, verse 18 through uh, the end of uh, chapter 1, verse 18 through verse, uh, let me see, Um, well, through, through, through the end of chapter 1 of Ephesians, And then you might want to read the first few verses of chapter 2, just to be reading them so you will will have read it because we'll be talking about those verses. Uh, There's a lot there. And every bit of it's Christ. Almost every word in those verses could be translated Christ. I mean it. I'm telling you the truth. We'll look at it. Lord bless, folks. Thank you for being with us. Thank you once again to many of you that we hear from in different ways, phone calls, emails, uh, just wonderful ways of fellowship. And speaking of fellowship, remember our June conference. June conference starts June the 21st, and that goes through June the, I think it's 25th, it goes Monday through Friday. And we'll have information on the website concerning that. If you want to know anything about that conference, you can call us here, email, email or call, uh, and we'll certainly talk with you about it. But it is the last full week, full week of June, which is from June the 21st, Monday through Friday. So remember that, and thank you for your gracious support, for your support, because many of you Do share with us in that way, and I want you to know that when you do, it enables us to continue to reach forth with this gospel. I'm not telling you it enables us to continue to have a building, to continue to keep the building up, no, but to continue this outreach of this gospel by way of internet, throughout the church, and around the world. And you'd be surprised how many hungry folks we find by way of internet, and then we continue to minister to them in any way we can, and in every way we can. So, the Lord bless. See you before long. Amen.